Okay, so we thank our sponsors for the month, Moshe and Eva Kesselman, sponsored Bishud Ol the Chayalim, protecting Am Yisrael. And uh, I thank our weekly sponsors. Uh, Carol Stone Applebaum was sponsored in honor of Bonnie and, and Nellie Stone's 35th wedding anniversary. And also by Nita and David Jerome in honor of Nachalibi's first birthday. Mazel Tov. And, uh, and that's that for, for our sponsors. So thank you to all of our sponsors. And of course, you know, tonight is the Shloshim for so many of our brothers and sisters. And of course, our learning is uh, in their merit. And uh, it also should be a merit for, for all of our soldiers. Hashem should protect them and bring, bring them back home as well as all, all of the hostages. Bring them home speedily to their families in safety and full health. Amen. Okay. So we finished, yeah, last week we talked about the, the terrible slaughter of Nov, about Doeg Ha'edomi. But while that's happening, D- David is running off to, of all people, in all places, the Plishtim, our arch enemy. It's really wild. Right, so we start here in the first source, Vayakom David. David gets up, Vayivrach Bayomahu Mipnei Sha'ul. And he, and he fled that day because of Sha'ul. And he goes to Achish, the king of Gat. And where is Gat? Yeah, he's heading in the direction of Aza. Right, that's where he's going. Right, so the, the servants of Achish said to him, This is David, right? Which is interesting that they refer to him as the king, because he's the one who's been beating them up, beating them up and killing them. Right, this is everybody was saying Shaul has has killed thousands, but David has killed tens of thousands. And who were those people that he was killing? The plishtim, and he's running to the plishtim, which is wild. So David, you know, I guess took these words to heart. And he was terrified of Achish, the king of Gat. So he realizes he made a big mistake. And he changes his, his way of being before, you know, in their eyes. And he acts like a maniac. And he, and he scrabbled on the doors of the gate. Although it made me think of the uh, maniac Palestinians who were putting their, on the gates of the White House. And the, right, they were just putting their bloody hands, right? Fake blood on the on the on the White House, right? And and like he was letting spit like fall into his beard, like he was acting like a complete maniac, like a lunatic. Um, so Achish said to his to his servants, "You see, this man is mad. Why are you bringing him to me? Right? Am I lacking madmen?" Right, that you bring in this one to be crazy in my presence. I need this guy in my house. So, this is all very interesting, right? Why is he running to his arch enemy, the Plishtim? Um, now, I guess on a very simple level, we can understand this, you know, by, by looking at other examples, right? The, the idea of running a king's opponent, running to the king's enemy, is something that happens throughout history. It happens later on uh, when Yeravam runs away from, Sh- from Shlomo HaMelech and he runs to Sheshach, the king of Egypt, right? It's, a, it's something that people do. They run to the enemy. 
Here, it's particularly awkward because David is, is not just a regular guy. He's not just an enemy of Shaul. He was the greatest enemy of the Pelishtim themselves. But still, there, there are many questions here because this is really the, the second half of a, of a, of a parak. It comes immediately after the story of Nov. They're put together in one narrative. Right? They seem to be two completely unrelated stories. Right? First, what happens in Nov where he goes and he gets some food. He gets the, the sword of Goliath. And then now what happens with Achish and him pretending to be like a madman. So why are these, they're really all one story. We broke it up into two because I can't keep you here more, much more than an hour. But really it's all one parak. It's all one chapter. It's all one story. So what's the connection there? Um, and, and why does David have to go through this whole wild and, and really terrible mess at the, at the palace of Achish? What's accomplished here? Right, why does David have to go through it? Why is it recorded? Why does it matter? Um, it's a very strange thing. I mean, the, the fact that he's bringing the sword of Goliath with him to the place of Goliath, right, where his family members are, right, is insane. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, we'll, so we'll we'll come to it. Yeah. Exactly. It only heightens the tension, right? It's not in the it's not the the simple shot, but it's there. Yeah. It makes sense, right? These are it's not a, a far fetched. Chazal, right? It's a, this is where he came from, right? This is Goliath's place. So uh, why would he come there? And, and what's the significance of this <laughs> madness, right? This madness is very interesting. Right? How often do we read about such things like this in Tanakh? I'm sorry, the what? Ah. It's interesting, right? There's something here with David and, and, and his madness, right? Which we need to understand. Uh, you know, why not just escape Achish's house, his palace, like in the middle of the night by climbing, climbing at the window like he did when he escaped from Shaul, right? But why here all of a sudden now we, we have all this madness? So there's a lot to understand here. Um, well, wouldn't it be the last place that you would think Shaul would look for him? Amongst Shaul would never look for him. Never, that's it. The last place he would look for him is amongst the enemy. Amongst the, the enemy, uh, the, amongst, right? the enemy, amongst the right. So, so, you know, it, it, all this is, uh, you know, it begs a lot of questions. Um, so it, it seems, although it's, it's not explicit in this story, it seems that, that there's something here that's a, that's a punishment for what occurred before. Um, you know, what did David do wrong? Right? What did David HaMelech do wrong? Uh, so if you look at number two here, this is uh, Rav Amnon Bazak. He writes that the, the fact that David takes Goliath's sword from Nov is symbolic. Because it was David himself who stood before the sword and said that, you know, everybody should know that, uh, that God does not save with the sword and spear, but, right, the battle is Hashem's, right? So, and, and, now, and now David endangers uh, Achimelech, the Kohen Gadol, who ends up being killed for this by taking the sword, right? He puts, it, he puts Achimelech, the Kohen Gadol's life at risk because of that sword, so, and which which is a crazy thing, right? David is choosing the sword, this superficial instrument, instead of following what he had said earlier, right? He's, he's expressing his trust in the power of the sword to save him, right? Ignoring the fact that he had knowingly deceived Achimelech and put, put Achimelech's life in danger. Um, and so, you know, this is, now, is this a, an explicit, terrible, obvious sin? Maybe not so, right? But the great people like David HaMelech are judged in a very, you know, very sensitively, right? For the smallest things. Um, and by putting Achimelech at risk and doing that in front of Doeg, because he, was, he felt that he needed the sword, which he should not have felt, right? because of it is really greater than that, by not trusting in Hashem in the, in the full way that he o- almost always does, 
right? There's a momentary slip in bitachon for David HaMelech. Uh, so for that, he bears some responsibility for the horror of Nov. And I think we see that in these words here, right? Vayasem David tadvarim ha'ela bilvavo. That David took these words to heart. Now, it's the words of, of the people, of the servants of Achish that he takes to heart. But you could also say that he, that he now understands, right? When he sees that he's come to the place of Goliath's relatives, Right? And he sees what the danger that he's in. He realizes, here I'm holding Goliath's sword. Maybe I shouldn't have brought this. Right? Maybe, maybe this was the wrong thing. Right now, he, all of a sudden, the whole thing comes crashing down on him. And this is part of the, you know, of, of the greatness of David HaMelech, right? that, that he is able to acknowledge this right? immediately. Right? That's David's greatness. It's not that David is perfect. We know David is not perfect. He's a man who he sins a few different times in a very significant way in the course of his lifetime. Um, but David HaMelech is, is like his great-great-grandfather Yehuda. Yehuda comes from Hoda'ah, to be modeh al ha'emet, to admit the truth. Right? And that's David. And he's able to admit it and to absorb it and to recognize his mistake. But what's fascinating here, right, the connection between you know, what, what, happens, uh, you know, what, what happens here with Achimelech and David's responsibility and his own family makes you tremble. Okay? So if you look at number three, we find in just in, in the next chapter, David Misham, El Me'arat Adulam, and he goes to the to the cave of Adulam. So all of his brothers and all of his father's house, right? Yishai and his brothers, all of them, they hear. Why do they go down there to meet David? Because if David has now become public enemy number one, right? We you know, again, we know from all the TV shows that we've watched, how do you get to somebody? Through their family, right? Mission Impossible, don't they go? I think in every Mission Impossible, they go after Tom Cruise's family. I'm not, not that I've seen Mission Impossible, on TV, only on, on planes, on planes, and he can't sleep. It's the same movie every time, right? It's the same thing. They go after his loved ones, right? They go after the, you know, in order to get to, get to, 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 get to him. So, so, that, that, so he understood, the family understood that they were terrible, in terrible risk. Um, so they, they run to meet with David. And what does David do? David He goes to Moab. Right, because that southern Israel, all you got to do is cross over, right? Just as Ruth had done a few generations earlier, when she came over from Moab, right? She went up, right? You can't cross in the uh, in the Dead Sea, right? The Yamamelech, but just above the Yamamelech, you can go up there, where where it becomes the uh, the Jordan River. She crossed there and came down, and that's that area in in Judea, southern south of here, and so and that's so Moab is right there. Right, so let my father, my mother, and really the rest of my family be here with you in Moab, because I guess he, right, he realizes the plishtim was a bad idea, right? That didn't go so well. Um, so he brings them to Moab. Until I know what God has in store for me, right? Because my family's at risk. So he brought them there, and, and David's family lived in Moab for, for the, this whole time that David was in the stronghold. Okay? Now, that seems to be the end of the story. But then if you fast forward, and it's really not that far, right, to Shmuel Bet, to the eighth chapter, what do we find there? Vayachet Moab. There, David, it's, it, that chapter describes many of David's wars. And, and David, right, smites Moab. 
So he measured them with the line. He made these, all of these men lie down on the ground, and he, uh, and, he made, and he measured out two lines out of the three to be put to death, and the other third he kept alive. Right? He slaughtered two-thirds of, of a captured, defeated Moabite army. Doesn't sound like uh, you know, something that the media today would be all that happy with, right? <laughs> right? You gotta fight. Ah, so exactly. So, so why is David treating Moab, where he, where he left his family for protection, with such terrible cruelty, right? More so than the rest of his enemies. So why is David fighting Moab in this way? So the Medrash in the next number next source here says, When he was running from Shaul, he brought his parents to the king of Moab. Because he was afraid of Shaul. And he trusted Moab because he comes from Moab. Right? His great-great-grandparents were Moabites. Ruth's parents. Right? He comes from them. According to the Pasuk we just read. But then it says, right, in the, Pasuk, we, the second Pasuk we just read, that uh, he comes and he, and he right, he, so he brings them. So what happens? Right, the king of Moab killed his family, killed Yishai, killed his mother, killed his brothers. And only one brother, right, escaped. Shebarach Eitzel Nachash Melech B'nei Amon. We ran to the other one of Lot's uh, troubled, incestuous descendants, right? Amon. From Moab to Amon. Um, now, Vishalach Melech Moab Acharav, Velo No, and the king of Moab was so cruel, he was upset that even one brother of David escaped and, and sent to, to Amon and demanded, give me that, that brother back so we can kill him. No, but the king of Ammon did not. And therefore, there was this kindness that Nachash did to David. It's something, it'll come up later, and we'll discuss it then. Um, and for this reason, David comes and he goes and he attacks the, Mo- the, the Moabites with tremendous cruelty. Right? He goes and he kills two-thirds. So, w- w- what do you see here? This is very interesting, right? It's terrible. It's awful. But everyone is slaughtered. David's whole family, except for one. One brother who runs away. What does that remind you of? The story that we learned last week? Shaul kills all of Nov, all of Achimelech, and all of his family, except for one son. Right? Eviatar escapes. Only one son escapes. And comes to David. Right? And that's how David has a Kohen Gadol with him. Right, that's the one, the one Kohen of Nov who escaped. And so what happens af- right after that? Right in the next chapter, David brings his family to Moab. And what happens? His whole family is put to death except for one. Right? So there's a, it's unbelievable. What a horrific punishment. But it seems that David's family experiences the same thing as the Kohanim of Nov. Um, and he takes responsibility for this. Right, that this is something that, that is on him. Um, if you look at, uh, if you look down below, he says, to which pasuk he says? Ah, he says to uh, in number six, This we learned we were talking about last week. Right, that all of Nov was slaughtered. 
But only one son escaped from, from Achimelech, from that slaughter. And that was Eviatar, and he came to David. And, you know, he tells him, Eviatar tells David, Shaul slaughtered my whole family, my whole town, everyone. So David said to Eviatar, Yadati bayomahu kisham I really knew in the back of my mind, you know when you do something and as you're doing it, you know that it's not a good idea, right? In the back of his mind, he knew that Doeg was there. I should have known, I should have, like, it should have registered that he was going to tell Shaul, right? I have brought about the death of all of your father's house, of all of your family. And then he tells him to stay with me and you'll be safe with me. Amazing, right? So David understands immediately that this is, right, that he, he played some role in this, even though obviously he's not the killer, he's not the murderer, he's not Shaul. It's not really on his shoulders, but he takes it upon himself anyway. He recognizes that he is, that he is to blame in some degree. Right? The Malbim says, Yadati nisi mezid. I'm a little bit, I'm a ktsat mezid. Mezid is I did it on purpose, I'm not really mezid. Acharshi yadati doeg and therefore, I need kapara. I need atonement. He couldn't have known that right, shortly afterwards his own family would die as an atonement for this sin. Okay. Uh, there's a, a, a lot to, to take from this. I mean, I, I, I thought how David HaMelech holds himself responsible you know, simply by not being careful enough and not even in the smallest way, the care that we have to have for one another. It, it struck me as we're, we're in a time right now where every Jew is caring intensely for one another. We don't need Musr. We're in the highest place right now. But uh, sometimes it takes us, it takes very painful moments, very painful experiences for us to realize the care that we owe to one another. And that's, that's what we're experiencing now. If only we had realized this uh, a few months ago. Now, the Medrash has a fascinating approach to David and his, his lack of faith. So if you, if you look at number eight, right, there are several Tehillim, chapters of Tehillim that relate to this time. I'm trying to bring them in as much as I can, as much as I realize and discover, the, you know, discover them. Now, these are not so hard because it, it really says in the beginning of the Tehillim, number 34, when David made himself crazy before, you know, in, in front of, of, of Avimelech, who is Achish, Melech Gat, it's all the same. Avimelech is like, uh, is, is like Paro for Egypt. They're all Paro. All, you know, everybody, in, they're all Avimelech, right? Just like in our Parsha, and, and so too in this time. Um, which is what Rashi says here. Um, that I, so it's interesting that Achish, who is the king here, who's called Avimelech here, Right? He didn't want to kill him. Right? And we see later on that David actually forms a weird close relationship with Achish Melech Gat, which is such a strange, strange thing that we'll see. But, but his men say to him, right? So it's really his men who are the ones who are saying that David is, the one, is, is, is our enemy and how could you possibly have him? So says the Medrash Tehillim, Amar David Baruch Hu, right? A whole fascinating backstory, right? Da- that David says to Hashem, right? He's got nothing else on his mind. He's just got philosophical issues in his mind. That's all, right? This we find 
amazingly with David, that he has all these beautiful Tehillim that he says, and all sorts of amazing topics and things that he's thinking about in his mind, about the glories of Hashem and the big picture issues of, war, of, the, of the world. And he's like thinking about these things as he's running away from his son who's trying to kill him. Or as he's, you know, running away from Shaul who's trying to kill him. Or, I mean, he's, there's always somebody who's trying to kill him. So as he's running away and his life is in danger, David HaMelech somehow has the presence of mind to be having these philosophical uh, thoughts. Now, and that's the pshat. That's, that's the Tehillim. It'll say at the beginning of the Tehillim, he's running away from Avshalom. And then, you know, Shirmi's more, right? He's, got a, he's singing a song to Hashem as he's running away from Avshalom. Right? There's something, you know, unbelievable about David HaMelech and his presence of mind. That, right, that's part of his unique greatness is that he's able, even as he's going through things, to somehow step out of himself, you know, and like look at himself from, from the outside in, right? And, and, and to be able to think in, the, in a clear way, which is kind of unbelievable. I, but I, I, we find this with David in every story as he's in the cave. And we'll talk about these things with Shaul, all these things. I mean, his life is like flashing before him. You know, in front of his eyes, you know, like his life is at risk. And somehow he's able to, to, to understand what's happening on a higher, from a higher perspective, which is kind of uh, unbelievable, in real time, in real time. So the Medrash says that David has a, a philosophical issue, right? He says to Hashem, right? Everything you've done, you've created in this world is beautiful. And wisdom is the most beautiful of all. Everything Hashem you've made in this world is awesome. It's unbelievable. Just look at an ant colony, right? You could spend all day watching an ant colony. Every little thing that Hashem created in this world is amazing. But the idea that people are crazy, that people lose their minds, why would you create such a thing, Hashem? Or what benefit does that bring to the world? Right? Somebody's like in the shuk, at, you know, and he's like ripping his clothing off his body and screaming and yelling, right? You see this uh, maybe in the shuk. You do see it in the shuk, actually. Um, but if you, you'll, you'll see it in the emergency room if you ever have to go. Like in Israel, right, if you need like a CAT scan, you know, it's, unlike in America where they just send you someplace to get a CAT scan, you go to, go to the emergency room. So like, I don't know, I think I've been in the emergency room several times, you know, for like these kinds of things with family members. And like every time there's some like loot, like, crazy person screaming and yelling, going nuts at a doctor, right? And it makes you wonder. You have the same question as Davin Melech. Like, it's like the most Nebuch thing. It's heartbreaking to watch a person who's completely out of control and no control over themselves. I, I, I understand Davin Melech. I had, I was recently just, you know, not that long ago, right? A few days ago, you know, with somebody getting a CAT scan and I saw exactly this total screaming, yelling fit. They needed like seven people to come in. I was like, there are seven able-bodied men like available. Like, they're not all at the front. I don't know. Like, they all came to take this one crazy person, to hold them down, take, to pull them out of the... It was nuts. I, I, it was a really crazy, but it, like, that happens all the time. Truth is, when I had my appendix out like a, you know, a year and a half ago when we first got here, they, they had made me sleep all night long next to one of these crazies. They wouldn't let me leave. And I spent all night thinking, like, if I, if I, and he was like, making noises and screaming and yelling. I was just thinking to myself all night long as I'm like in IVs and whatever, like, if I, if I quietly like crawl over there and smother him with a pillow, like, could I get away with it? That's what I was thinking about. So, you know, that was like the one time I've actually thought about real murder in my life. So, um, you only get merit, you only get reward if you want to do, you know, and you hold back. So, so, 
you know, David Amelch has a good question, right? Hashem, why are you bringing this into the world? Right? What's called, it's such a terrible thing. So Amarlo Kadesh Baruch Hu, David Alashtuta Takore Tagar, you're now making a complaint about, about insanity. Chayecha Shetitzarechla, right? By your life, you're going to need it. Right, and the Medrash continues. You're right, this is something that you're, that you're complaining about. You're going to want this so badly, because he needed to be authentic in order to be believed, that you're going to be begging me to give you insanity. Right, so then this was just before he goes to Achish. You're going to Achish? At Mol Harakta Goliath. Yesterday you killed Goliath. And Goliath's brother is, is the, like the, the head of the secret service for Achish. Right? Like it's like his blood is still, it still hasn't been you know, absorbed into the ground and you're already going there. And you're holding Goliath's sword. Since they, when they saw him, Amru, Hare Agiso Babra Glav. Right? They're like they, they, they're like ready to kill him. Amrulo Hare David Shaharagachicha. This is David, who killed your brother. Let us kill the person who killed our brother. So he killed David So David starts to pray. Answer me at this time. Amarlo Kadesh Baruchu. What are you asking for? So he says, please. Again, David, of course, always, the way Chazal present him, always admitting he's wrong. You were right, Hashem, I'm sorry. But please, make me insane. We scorn the thing that we're going to need. Right? So, I, I, so I'm going to give it to you. So David This is the background to this Tehillim. So just because it's so, it's just an amazing, amazing picture. So he made himself completely crazy. And he was writing on the, on the doors. He was writing, Right? He says, owes me $100,000, right? And his wife owes me 50. Now, it's according to Chazal, right? Which read into the Psukim. Right, Achish says, what, I don't have enough crazy people here? Implying that he's got a lot of crazy people. <laughs> Meaning his wife and his daughter are both, are both sadly, nebuch, they're insane. <laughs> so they were yelling and screaming from inside, and he was on the other side of the door screaming at them. So that's why Achish said, right, do I not have enough meshugayim? And so at that moment, at that moment, Samach David At that moment, David is is joyous that he was insane. That, that there, there was such a thing as insanity. And from that joy, he made he made this this shira, this tehillim, right? Tehillim number thirty-four. Right? Right? There is there is something very good about insanity. So now he learned from here that we have to, to bless Hashem at every moment, for everything. There's a time and a place for everything in this world. That everything Hashem made has a purpose. Right? Everything exists for a reason. Right? And so, why, so why madness, of all things? 
I think it's because madness is the least logical, the hardest thing to understand, the most upsetting, the most painful thing to watch. Other, you know, other ways, other, there are hard things out there that we can explain, maybe find a reason. Madness, why should such a thing exist that people should be so sick in, in such a terrible way? Right? To teach us the most extreme example that everything that Hashem does has a reason, there's a purpose for it in this world. It seems that, that you can only feign so much, uh-huh. right? That Hashem gave him. I, I don't know. It, it seems the way the measure portrays it is that on the one hand, Hashem actually makes him mad, but on the other hand, David is aware right. somehow, which kind of goes along with what I was saying before, that, that David can, almost exists outside of himself, you know, and looks inwards, right? So he can be insane, but almost be watching himself from, from, from the outside, out-of-body experience. Right, it's, fasc- it's fascinating. Yeah. So says Rav Kook, Mizmorshir, Tarikhle Amer, Amiflaot Tamim Deim. Right, we, should, we need to, to sing Shira for the wonders of Hashem's wisdom. Shanuro Imshana Sotli Famim Gam Ayadeid Varim, Shahimamash Legamre Hipucha Sechel, Vihipucha Higayon. Because we see that Hashem's will can be done through things that are the opposite of all rationality and all logic. Right, that, that everything, everything is in Hashem, right? Hashem has a reason for and has a plan for. And this also comes to, when, when it comes to good and to evil. Right, it's hard for us to say as human beings that what we think perceive to be good is good and that what we perceive to be ra is ra because all of this somehow has a part in Hashem's plan. Right, which is a very strong language. Says Rav Kook, there's no real difference between good and bad, right? In, in, a, in a certain way. Because everything that Hashem has created is somehow for the good. And therefore, right, this whole story of David, the idea that he was saved by something which is the opposite of all logic. Madness cannot be explained in any logical or rational way. Right? And it represents all that we can't understand in this world. All that we can't understand in this world still has a place in Hashem's plan, even if we don't grasp it. And that's why right, madness in particular is what's chosen, because it's the least logical and the least rational thing. Right? It is the essence of, of illogical. It's the essence. In Tehillim 56, Lamatseach al Yonat Elem Rechokim. Right? For, right, like for the conductor, for a mute dove. A dove. What is a mute dove? What is this about? Right? This is another Tehillim that is a, you know, connected to when David is taken in Gat by the Plishtim. So what is this about? Belokim ahalel davar, Bahashem ahalel davar. With Elokim I will praise Hashem's word, and with Yudke Vavke, with Hashem, I will praise Hashem's word. What does this mean? So says Rashi, and again, this is all about the same time, the same moment, this Tehillim. Yonat Elim Rechokim, Amar. Right, he's saying this about himself, right, that he is a, a like a mute dove. Shahiyah Rechok Me Eretz Yisrael, Eitzel Achish. He's far from, you know, he's outside of the land, he's there with Achish. Vayu Echav Shel Galiat Mevakshim Rishut Me Achish Lahargo. And he's as close to death as he's ever been. 
right? Because his, uh, Goliath's brothers are ready to kill him. Right? He's like a, a mute dove. He, has not, he can't, right? David, for all of his greatness and all of his strength in this moment, completely, completely powerless. And at this moment, Belokim Ahalel Davar, Bahashem Ahalel Davar, says Rashi. Elokim we know is Midas Hadin, right? And Hashem represents Midas Harachamim, right? It's God's justice and God's mercy, right? David Amelech now understands that whether Hashem is acting with mercy as Hashem or whether he's acting with Elokim, with judgment, which can be extremely painful, either way, somehow, Hashem must be praised, right? Not easy to say the least, and not a simple thing. But we at least, you know, we have to know, I guess, what is demanded of us, right? What Hashem asks of us, which are unbelievable things that Hashem asks of us. And I think that, therefore, it's no accident that we say Tehillim 34 on Shabbos, right? Because Shabbos is a time, I think, when we feel more than any other day that Hashem is really running the world entirely, in every way, right? Because things that seemed inexplicable during the week, can be absorbed and accepted to some degree, right, to a great degree on Shabbos in a way that we just couldn't handle it, we couldn't absorb it during the week, but on Shabbos somehow, we're able to absorb it. Um, I'm not going to go through of Kluger here, but he has a whole beautiful teaching here on Shabbos, which you should definitely look through when you have a chance. But essentially, he's saying that, you know, during the week, we live in the world of Bechira, of choice, that everything's in our hands. And, and that's how Hashem wants us to live in this world, right? Because if I think that everything is run by God during the week, all week long, well, then I'm not responsible for anything, right? No, Hashem wants us to take responsibility. It's in my hands whether I'm going to do good or whether I'm going to sit and waste my time on the couch. It's my, in my hands whether I'm going to sin or whether I'm not going to sin, right? Whether I'm going to be strong and not give in, right? That, that's up to us. But on Shabbos, we leave the world of choice, of Bechira, and we enter the world of Yediyah, where Everything was part of God's plan. Meaning all week long, when I'm dealing with every situation in my life, it's all in my hands. It's all my responsibility. And if I mess up, it's my fault. If I, if I do well, it's, it's to my credit. But it's all in my hands. On Shabbos, I look back and it's Yedia. It was all meant to be. Obviously, these two ideas can't go together, right? Logically, rationally. But on Shabbos, in a sense, you know, we understand that God is the one who's in control of everything somehow in a way that we can't grasp during the week, we shouldn't even try to grasp during the week. And this is really what also, and yet to, a, to yet another Tehillim, Ms. Morshir, the Yom HaShabbat. Right? What, what does this have to do? What does this Tehillim have to do with Shabbos? It's the classic question. Other than that first line, it doesn't talk about Shabbos for the rest of the Tehillim. What is it about? Why is it, how is it connected to Shabbos? Right? We say in there, I didn't write it here, but Tov Lahodos Lashem, Lizamer Lashemcha El Yon, that we're supposed to thank Hashem, right, during the good, right, Lahagid Baboker Chastechav Emunas Chabalelos, right, that we, that whether it's a time of Rachamim, or whether it's a, of, of Hashem, or it's a time of judgment of Elokim, it's all Hashem, because that's what we absorb on Shabbos. And then it continues, Magadlu Maasecha Hashem, how great are your works, Hashem, Maod Amku Machshavosecha, we say, right, how deep are your thoughts? You, you have a very deep way of, under, of, of running the world. Ish ba'ar lo yeda, uchsil lo yevin Right? A 
foolish people don't understand, right? They think, they can't see how you're possibly running all of this, right? They see insanity, right? They see people who are crazy and they say, this can't be Hashem. This is, this is all terrible. This is all evil. This is what, what pain and, and suffering and sorrow that is. How can there possibly be anything good? This can't be God, right? But a Jew understands, on Shabbos at least, we're able to absorb what David was able to absorb, right? We're able to absorb on Shabbos. We're able to grasp that it's all Hashem. Right? And that's, that's what the whole Tehillim is about, right? is that Hashem's, way, Hashem's understanding is deeper than, than our own. The lesson that was so hard for David to learn right? At the, in, the house of, of, uh, in the house of Achish Melech Gat, right? in the palace of Achish. Right? Not, not, so, not so simple, not so easy. Um, and says, says the Malbim, Magaluma Asecha Hashem, Mevayer Atam, Madua Chalak Hashem Atan Hagato. Right? Why does Hashem have different ways of running the world? Sometimes it seems, you know, it's just like running according to nature, the world. And other times, you know, God steps in and does all sorts of unbelievable miracles. Um, why does Hashem allow the world to go on in such a natural way? And people think that the world has no creator, that it just goes on. And they think it's just nature. Hashem does all of this and with very deep thought and wisdom. There has to be a place in this world for reward and for punishment that we can choose, right? It can't be all obvious that a God is running everything at every moment. Because if Hashem would punish every evildoer the moment they sinned, right? And it was such, so clear that God is running everything, then there would be no choice in this world. And this is what, and this is what the, the Tehillah means. Right? Hashem hides his providence in a way so that the fools can't understand it and only those who work hard to understand it, like David HaMelech, are able to grasp it. And right? it becomes one of the great this is one of the great teachings of David Amelech's life, the fact that he's able to then to trust Hashem all through Sefer Shmuel, right? Shmuel Aleph, Shmuel Bet, it's one suffering after another, right? As we talked about at the beginning, it doesn't stop one suffering after another, and yet David is able to maintain his trust in Hashem, right? That's his unique greatness. It's his unique greatness. And that's something that he learns here in this story of the insanity with Achish Melech Gat, meaning everything that David Amelech is going through Right? It's all part of his path to becoming David Hamel, to becoming the king, his path to greatness. He's not a finished product, just as right now, as we're going through these partios of Avram Avinu, Avram is far from a finished product. Right? With each step, with each test, he's learning something else and growing and growing and growing. Right? And there are many disasters along the way. You can, just like you can say that the whole disaster of Nov is somewhat due to, to David's failure, you can also argue that the whole disaster of Sodom was due to Avram's failure. Remember when Avram saved Lot and he could have become the king? And he says, no, I don't want it, right? I don't want it. I don't want anything. You guys, it's all good. King of Sodom, you take all the people. It's all good. I don't want anything from you. I'm going to go back to my tent. What if Avram Avinu had, taken, had said, yeah, I'm going to be the king of Sodom? Do you think Sodom would have been wiped out from under the earth? Probably not. Right? Avram Avinu, then Hashem made him go and watch it. Right? 
So, okay. Do we, do we bash Avram Avinu? No, right? It's Avram Avinu. This is part of his, of his growth process. And truthfully, he only gets so far. And Yitzchak goes further. And then finally, Yaakov Avinu is the one who's able to put all the pieces together. Right? This is, uh, right? This is the way of the world. This is how, how, we, how we grow. We're not finished products. But I, you know, all of this, I thought, came together. On, on, on Shabbos, Ma'odam kumach shavosacha. I think during this time that we're in right now, which is such a difficult and such a painful time, that if we can, on Shabbos, right, as, we, as we're saying this, we're shirli yom Shabbos. This is how we welcome, how, at least the men, right, at shul, right? The w- women accept Shabbos through candle lighting, and men accept Shabbos at this moment. When we say mizmer shirli yom Shabbos, this is what we're absorbing. I think women, when women are lighting candles, and, you know, you could tell me if this is true, but women are, you know, you have some of the deepest thoughts that you have of your life are happening, of, certainly of the week, of every week, are happening at, at that moment, and the prayers for that week, and the... <sighs> understanding you're shifting into a different level of understanding, right, in consciousness and being able to see Hashem's plan for the world, even if it's only brief, right? It, it's only for, for 25 hours and then Shabbos is over and we lose it uh, and we're back in the pain and the suffering of the world. But, but on Shabbos, we get a glimpse that there is a plan and that, and that is, I think, the comfort and the strength that we gain on Shabbos, um, right? And that's what we're singing, you know, Batach Balei Bala, Right, that, has, that our, our husband trusts in us, and Eshaz Chayel, right? So the Mepharshim explained that, that that's also Hashem, you trust in us, even, even with all the sins and all the things, the mess-ups during the week and all of the, the brokenness. I come to Shabbos, Batach Balev Bala, right? I know that my husband trusts in me, and, and meaning Hashem trusts in me, the, in us, the Jewish people, right? That there is something that we come back to a wholeness on Shabbos because we know it's all part of God's plan, uh, and, that, and that Hashem does have a plan even if we don't understand it, just as David did not understand it. That's the strength that we gain, that we gain on Shabbos. Um, now, Rabbi Nassan has another reason, and I think this is something very, very beautiful. Rabbi Nassan of Breslov, and, uh, and this is really, spe- you know, I don't generally learn Rabbi Nassan, not because I don't want to, but because I don't have time. But I, I was sitting at the Kotel, uh, this was a few months ago, and uh, I was like in between, I had meetings in the old city. It's the best. So you try to make them as far apart as possible. So you have a reason, like you have an hour, you have to go to the, to go to Davin Mincha at the Kotel. So I was sitting there at the, yeah, I Davin and then I sat there, I had half an hour. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know, I pulled a book off the shelf. And, you know, the, when you're inside in the Kotel to get out of the heat, well, the men know, right? You're inside in there, right? And the women have their own zone. Um, I pulled a, a, a safer off. I didn't realize what it was. It was Rebbe Nussin. I opened it up randomly. Because this is the kind of thing that I do at the Kotel. Just because I feel like whatever random, what, you know, what am I, I'm learning something. It should be what Hashem wants it to be. I opened up to this. Okay? And I was preparing the shear. So I said, wow, okay. That's why I have to share it with you. So the eight Shabbat David biyada plishtim begalut. So David comes to the plishtim. He's exiled from his land. He's running away from Shaul. And they wanted to, to kill him. And there was no way he could fight his way out. There was no physical way out. Right, the only way out was through joy. The only way to get out. Right, he had nothing. There was no. He couldn't fight his way out. The only way was to break out of the sadness and depression that he found himself in. Right, and, and we're think, thinking about those moments of those exile moments when we're in such bitterness, and it's and, and we feel like we can't be besimcha. How could we be besimcha? 
How could we be joyous? Right? Because if we're stuck, but, but, but if we can't be besimcha, if we're stuck in terrible sadness, and this is a very much a Rabbi Nachman idea, right? If you're stuck in, in terrible sadness, then, then you can't break out of anything that you're in. Sadness is what holds us back. So yes, you fall into sadness because of the situation, but then being in the sadness is what prevents you from getting out. Right? The only way out is through simcha. But, but then how could you be besimcha? Because we're in so much pain. And I think we're in, we're in Eretz Yisrael, but we're, we're experiencing a, right, a, a gullus moment here right now. We understand exactly what Rabbi Nassim is saying. So David was the man who represented the joy of Israel. Right? And if you take a moment, right, you see like in the next uh, source here, right, this is in, in Shmuel Bet, when they're accompanying the, the Aaron to Yerushalayim, that he's mifazez, mecharker lifnei Hashem, he's dancing, David is the man of Simcha, right? So David, who is the, he's the man of Simcha, so even though, so he's in a very bad, broken and sad place. So what do you do? He's, he's captured by the plishtim, physically and in a sense spiritually. Chanan Hashem So Hashem gave him a secret weapon at this moment. mamash. When you're so broken, but you need to have some simcha in order to be able to move on with your life and to overcome. And we see that now, right? On a national level, we're broken. But, we, but what, are all the, what are all the guys doing? All of our soldiers doing in the, in the, in the bases on the Gaza border? Singing and dancing, right? And it makes all the sense in the world. We have to. They're consciously singing and dancing, right? They have to because you can't go and fight an enemy and defeat an enemy if you're broken. But how could you possibly be singing and dancing? How do you give yourself that strength when you're, when you're shattered? How can you do that? How can it possibly be? So the secret that Hashem gives David and really giving all of us is to make ourselves, right, mishuga'im, crazy. Shtus, compl- insanity, right? This is, a re- this is a big teaching of Rabbi Nachman. The Rabbi Nassim is now is teaching us through David Amelech, but he talks about this in many, many places, that sometimes you have to consciously make yourself crazy. You've got to do crazy things. You have to do crazy things. Right? That's a real thing. To break out of, whether on a personal level, if you're going through something terrible and painful in your life, you have to do something crazy sometimes. You, gotta go, you have to go a little bit wild and crazy. Oh, it's not so Jewish, right? Not so Jewish. Who says it's not so Jewish? Here it is. It's Jewish. It's the way of Amistral. We have to do crazy things right, in order to break free. And on a national level, what our Hever are doing and singing, singing uh, songs of revenge, right? This, the Shimshon song, right? Zachreini na, Zachreini na, right? Calling for Nakama and singing in wild and crazy. They look crazy in those videos. And I'll be honest with you, that's, the, that's what gives, you know, I, that gives me the most strength of all, right? When we see that shtus, that, that craziness, See, Am Yisrael is getting crazy. We've had enough. Enough of being like sweet, nice, calm Jews. Right? This is a crazy time. And if you're not crazy, there's something wrong with you a little bit now. No, I mean, in all seriousness. I, I'm, I have like seven articles that I'm working on simultaneously. Uh, one of them is, is, uh, is like I'm afraid that people will under- React, right? The underreaction, right? Like, like I, somebody in America, a principal from one of the Jewish day schools, you know, gave a whole talk with Fox News. He's a lovely guy. He's a, I'm friends with him. I, mean, I, don't, I, I don't mean to bash him, God forbid. 
But he said, like, you know, we're not going to allow any of these colleges into our school unless, right, they have a plan for how they're going to, they're going to, they're going to protect our students from anti-Semitism. Underreaction, right? You've got to be crazy now. Now's the time to say, what in the world are we sending our kids to these crazy places for? What are we doing here? I'm Israel, wake up. Now's the time for crazy. Now's the time to tell Harvard to get the hell out and never come back, right? I don't, don't, come, don't come to me because you have like a, a plan for anti-Semitism. No, 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 that's underreaction. That's, that's rational, that's calm. We're in a place of shtus now, right? We have to be. We're in a place of, right? The only way, because we're, we're, we're like, we're just like David Melech was caught in, in, in Achish's palace. We have hostages who are caught in the palace of Hamas, right? How are we supposed to react if not with shtus, with, with, if not with craziness? That's the only way to react. How could you be normal now? There's a place for shtus in the world, says, right, says, says Rabbi Nassim, for these kinds of moments, right? And, and when Jews are, are normal and calm at a time such as this, shame on us. We have to be crazy, completely crazy. Shiga'on mamash, right? And, and the image of David with spit coming out of his mouth into his beard, now it takes on a whole other meaning, right? Think of Amistral, we are furious. We're so furious that the spit is falling into our beards. For that reason alone, I should convince my wife to let me grow a proper beard. Just like I have a place for the spit to go, right? I'm furious, right? The place for the fury to go. Specifically through this craziness, it's through this that we're going to come to joy. And it's through that that we'll be saved. Because we can only overcome our enemies with joy. Because what is joy? Joy is faith. When you're broken and depressed, it means, you, it means that we're in a place of temporary separation from Hashem. And that's brokenness. And how, of course, it's natural. We're going to experience that. We're, we're human beings. But we have to then break out of it. And the only way to break out of it when we're still burying our dead in front of us. I mean, for weeks we're burying. How could you possibly break out of that in any normal way? Right? The only way to do it is through shtus. And that's what can bring you to simcha. <coughs> the only way in a place of terrible galus is through the mile dishtusa, through this wildness, through this craziness. So when I learned that at the Kotel, I was like, I have to share this because I learned this at the Kotel, but I didn't really understand why I had to share it. Mm-hmm. It's only now that I understand why we have to share it. Mm-hmm. This is the, the, the wild simcha of David Amel. I know it's late, so I, I don't want to, uh, to, to, to take too long on this, but Rav, Rav Yaakov Moshe Harlap, he writes, HaChutzpah SheBe'ikvasa de Meshicha, number 20. Right, the chutzpah of these days before Mashiach. We always talk about chutzpah in the days before Mashiach in a negative way. I mean, I know I do. Right? This is, I mean, the crazy chutzpah that goes on in the world. Right? That this new speaker of the house in America, whatever you know, one thinks of him, the fact that he should be attacked because he believes in the Bible. Right? They called him a lunatic because, he's a, because he said that I believe in the Bible. Right? What a chutzpah, a crazy, upside-down, insane world that we're in, right? that in America, that's what he's being attacked for. It's crazy, right? Because you have a God-fearing man who's the Speaker of the House. Oy, lo aleinu, right? So terrible, right? So that's, that's usually what we talk about when we say chutzpah. But there's also, but the chutzpah of, the, of this time is not just for the evil people. It's also for the good people. Chutzpah of Kedusha. Right? We, we, we need, right, this is the only way. Vehemit orim rakla ruach. 
We're going to be in a situation where the whole world is filled with depression and brokenness without any his his of joy. Um, now we generally think of these kinds of you know, this kind of behavior is something that goes with the other side, with the bad side. Um, you know, but, there, but, there's, but there's something also, there's a different kind of a schok, of a joy, of a wild joy that comes to oppose it uh, during this time of the Chevlei HaMashiach. And that's the Simchat Lev, I'm skipping through just because of time, Simchat Lev Amitit. This is the real joy that we have in our heart that can overcome, right, all of the insanity from the other side. Right? We need to have that. We need to have that. It's the only way in our time to consciously be crazy. To consciously be crazy. It is the Masa Avo Simon Lebanim. David HaMelech in the house of Achish is all of us today, all of Am Yisrael after, after Simchas Torah. Now, that brings us to another a really powerful point. I mean, this is something that it only hit me again now. Only now do I fully grasp what I was preparing over the summer. Vayelech David Misham, number 21. David leaves there. Vayimalet el me'arat adulam, and he goes, right? And this, he has the, his family is there. Um, they come down to him. But then the second pasuk, Vayitkabtsu elav kol ish matzok, v'chol ish asher lo noseh. And who gathers, starts gathering around David? This is the beginning of his army. What's the beginning of his army? Everybody who is in distress, everybody who is in debt, everybody who is discontented, chol ish mar nefesh, Everybody who was bitter, by Hialeam Lisar, and he became the captain over them. By Yuimoka Arba Meotish, about 400 men came. What is going on here? What an army David is gathering. People who are bitter, people who are broken and frustrated. Says the Malbim, right? That Kol Ishmatzok means Nefesh Pinimit. They have an inner turmoil. People are struggling in the inside, they're torn apart. Bechol Isha Sherlo Nosei. Uh, who, uh, who's got a burden, meaning they have some sort of other, you know, burden that they're carrying maybe in their family, right? Something out, not inner burden, but a, an outer burden. Uh, and they've left their place in order to find a new, to get a new start. They couldn't handle where they were. V'chol ish mar nefesh, and anybody who's like, who's, you know, bitter. Balkas v'chema, people who are angry and on fire, right? They came to David HaMelech. And these are the people who are the beginning of David's, of David's reign. Right? Without them, there is nothing. Right? Without them, David couldn't do what he did without these men. This is, isn't this something? The number 400, I'm not going to get into it, it's very significant, but it means that there's a, a mamashus, right? Esav came with 400 men against Yaakov. 400 is very significant. But what does this mean? Right? I, I, I was thinking about this. It's like, what does, that really, what, what does this mean? The kind of people that are needed at this time. Right? This motley crew of Nebuch men Right, or, or like fiery men, people who don't fit in in the normal way of things. Right, they're angry by nature, they're, or they're intense, or they, they they don't they're not calm, they're not reasonable, they don't fit well during normal times. But these are not normal times. David Melech is on the run. Shaul Melech is falling apart. The enemies of Israel are gathering as Shaul Melech, as we'll see, as Shaul Melech falls deeper and deeper into his depression, chasing David Melech all over the place. The enemies of Israel are gathering strength. Right? Does that not, you know, make us think of our own time, 
were sitting and fighting all year long as Hamas was planning its attacks, right? As they're planning its attacks, we're yelling and screaming about judicial reform that nobody really understands, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's an unbelievable thing, right? It's the same thing. Now, who are the men of the hour? <coughs> who are the men of the hour? It's not the rabbis who come to David HaMelech. <laughs> he doesn't get the rabbis. The rabbis don't show up to fight. They don't. Rabbis are not, are not, are not made to fight. Right? He gets the people who don't really fit in, right? the fiery people, the people that in normal times they think they're nuts, right? You're, oh, you're a communist, right? You're crazy. You're a crazy man, you know, one of those. And then all of a sudden at this moment, they become the, the very, right? They are David's men. They're the ones that make it happen. It's a fascinating, it's fascinating. I, I spoke to someone, I don't want to say his name. I'm not sure if he would, if he would appreciate it. To me, it's an unbelievable thing what he said. I, this was just yesterday. I spoke to a rabbi who's one of the nicest guys that I know. He's like everything that I'm not. I mean, and I'm not a bad person, but I'm saying, but he's like so sweet and so lovely. Everybody loves this guy. And he said to me, we were talking about what was going on. And he said to me, maybe the most self-aware thing I've ever heard from anybody in my life. He says, I'm a conciliatory person. I'm, so, I'm good at getting people who are fighting to get along. Like, like that's just, that's who I am. She goes, now is not my time. Now is my time to get out of the way. And he says, to let people like you, <laughs> right? People like you got it. Now it's your time, right? I was like, oh, like one of David Amelik's angry people, right? That's it. But, but the truth is, I, I thought that was unbelievable, right? So what a self-awareness. But the truth is there are different times and places. It doesn't mean that every Jew of all time is meant to be like one of these 400 men of David. We have a place for great Torah scholars. I don't mean to rag on all rabbis all the time, just, just lately. But, but right, now is not the moment for most rabbis. Right? Now is not the moment because they've been, they've been trained. Right, there's another article. I, mean, I already have the title, Too Many Nice Guys. Right? That we've raised a generation of too many nice guys. Now, we love nice guys. Who doesn't love nice guys? But where, you know, where's uh, you know, Rabbi Avi Weiss, who's not in his 80s, right? You know, thank, I mean, he's, he's still around. Thank God he should live to 120. But where, where's the next one? Where's the, where are the people who are ready to fight for Am Yisrael, yeah. right? They're not there. We need people like David's men. We need people like David's men. I, this was, when I saw this, I just, I couldn't, I, I don't know. I, I, it was unbelievable. Um, this is what we're living through. This is what we're going through. So, but just to finish up. Just to finish up, because I, uh, you know, it's, the Navi tells David HaMelech in Source 26, Ve'yomer gada Navi al-David, lo suda, don't stay here in the stronghold. Right, leich uvata lecha eretz Yehuda, go back to the land of Yehuda, go back to Israel, Vayelech David vayevo yar charet. Right, so David goes. Isn't this interesting? He tells him to go back where? To the place of danger. Right? Sometimes Jews, right, in order to do what Hashem wants from us, we can't just hide in our homes. Right? We have to go out there. Right? So that means the Jews in Skokie. Right? I, I, I just got a, somebody, a friend of mine sent me a voice note from a rabbi in Skokie who is, or in, in Chicago, I'm not sure if it's Skokie, who is suggesting that maybe we should, the Jews should take down all the lawn signs that say you know, pro-Israel lawn signs because it's dangerous. Right? Sometimes you have to be a little bit you know, brave. Sometimes you have to go back, and go, go back out there and put yourself out there. There are times, right, times like this that calls for that, right, where you have to be courageous. So David is told, leave your parents in Moab, go and expose yourself to Shaul HaMelech, because this is, this is God's plan, to bring David, right, up in, against the face of his enemy. Not a simple thing. 
And it's precisely this. Chazal tell us, this is when David HaMelech said, said over Tehillim 23. Right? The most famous Tehillim of all time. Right? Mizmor David Hashem Roi Lo Echsar. At this moment is when David says this. Right? Just incredible. Um, and this Tehillim is written, you know, as, as, despite the dangers, as he's going back to Eretz Yisrael, which is the land of danger for him. Right? He's thanking Hashem for bringing him. Even though I'm going into this dark valley of the shadow of death, right? right? David has learned his lesson. He went into to Achish Melech Gat and he came out a different person. He knows that Hashem is going to be with him at every moment. And now he's, going to, now he's not afraid to go into the heart of darkness. Now he's not afraid. The Medrash Tehillim says, Binos Desha and green pastures. Medaber David Shaul. He says this as he's running from Shaul, and specifically the Pasuk we just read. right? He goes right, Gav It was such a it, it was a dry place, a terrible dry place where what was he gonna drink? What was he gonna eat? None of it made sense. The Navi tells him to go into that place, and David goes in with strength. Shiftachau Mishantecha, Hemayinachamuni. Right, what, what, a makel, a stick, says says uh, Rabbi Kashtiel, can be both used, can be used to hit, but it could also be used as a as a shiftecha, right? As mishan, as, that shiftecha, I'm sorry, is to hit, and mishantecha is as a staff to lean on. The same stick can be both painful and also a tremendous source of of, of help, right? And here, David is saying, expressing his faith that he has learned, right, that whether it's a stick, whether it's elokim, or whether it's a staff. Whether it's Hashem and his Rachamim, Hashem is there with him at every moment of the way. And this Yediya, this knowledge, this awareness that he finally now has, he's reached a new stage of, of connection to God. Yediya Zu is Makor Lenechama. This is the root of his comfort to go through the suffering and pain that he's going through. Right? Because David has finally reached this level of, where he's able to, to understand with all the pain and all the suffering right? that, that, that Hashem is with him every step of the way. Every step of the way. There it is. And so, right, this is the lesson that he learned in Gat. Right, everything is planned and set. Taroch lefanai shulchan neged sorai. What does that mean? That you prepared a table for me before my enemies. Right, it means that the table is set. Hashem has planned everything out. Things may not look good outwardly, but it's all part of Hashem's plan for me to defeat my enemies. And we don't have time to go through now. It's another shear. Zechariah chapter 9 lays out everything that's happening right now in our, in, in our time. It talks about the battle in the north, the battle in the south in Gaza. It even talks about Yemen. It talks about prisoners in pits. It talks about everything. It's all there. It's all there. I wrote a whole article about this because the Christians love this stuff. Right? But, but, um, but, it, but I mean it for real. I really believe it. It's all taroch lefanai shulchan. Hashem is, has laid it out. And it's that faith, knowing that he has laid it out, that will be our nechama, that will be our comfort, that will be our strength during this difficult time. It should end soon. It should end quickly, only with joy.